Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Today we are continuing our series on incarnation by looking at Christ's incarnation. Now that we've identified the importance of incarnation and the different ways in which one can become incarnate, I think that will open up our appreciation of Jesus' incarnation towards us. I'll do this by discussing how Jesus exhibited each of the four types of incarnations we've identified in this series. First, there is the proximate incarnation. This is when someone decides to become physically present in another situation. Whether you move as a UCP into a village threatened with violence, whether you move into an oppressed neighborhood, this physical proximity is what I refer to as proximate incarnation. This was the clear first step Jesus took in what we refer to as his incarnation. The Word became flesh. The God of heaven, the creator of the universe, took on humanity. He left the throne of heaven for the sin-filled world of humanity, and he dwelt among us. He lived with us. After the proximate incarnation of Jesus, it was clear that Jesus also became positionally incarnate. While Jesus definitely maintained a strong connection with the Father, and while we see Jesus display tremendous power over the weather, over death, and over infirmities, and while we know that Jesus had the power to call legions of angels to prevent his crucifixion, or to call angels to save him where where he to jump from the temple pinnacle, Jesus became largely positionally incarnate by giving up his power. He was completely submitted to God in his obedience, even unto the torturous death of the cross. In our means in the end season, we explored John Howard Yoder's argument for the temptation of Christ being primarily that of seeking control. The temptation to grasp at power, something Philippians 2 says Jesus gave up, was ever before Jesus, whether in the temptations of Satan in the desert, the temptation of Satan through Peter to forego suffering, the temptation of the people seeking to crown Jesus king on the coast, the temptation of taking religious power after his triumphal entry, or the temptation of taking control of the situation with his legions of angels at the cross, Jesus clearly became positionally incarnate by becoming relatively powerless. He not only refused to grasp at being God and controlling things, but he also chose to be born as a poor peasant in subjugation to empire rather than as a powerful human king. Jesus fully embraced positional incarnation. There's a third type of incarnation which Jesus also embraced. That incarnation was experiential incarnation. Experiential incarnation, we've said, is one which is often difficult to control and one which is often more passive. One doesn't choose to be mugged or to have a family member commit suicide, yet those experiences are very meaningful if one is going to speak into the life of another who's going through the exact same experience. Now, Jesus was definitely in a different position than we are and that he probably had more control over what experiences he would face, or at least God knew what he wanted Jesus to experience, and maybe Jesus was kind of let in on that. I don't know how that all worked out. But Jesus certainly became experientially incarnate in some meaningful ways. He experienced pain, torture, death, persecution, homelessness, poverty. There's some overlap here with positional incarnation as Jesus' decision to leave heaven placed him in some of those situations, And as far as his persecution goes, that was a result of his continual choice to say hard and confrontational things to the religious leaders. Yet that is a significant part of experiential incarnation, the willingness to put ourselves in situations which tend to lead towards those negative experiences. Jesus speaking truth, maintaining integrity, and identifying with the oppressed while refusing to compromise with the powers of his day 
led him to the experiences that he had. In fact, Jesus tells his followers that if they truly follow him, they can expect to bear similar experiences of cross and persecution. Finally, Jesus experienced the fourth type of incarnation. Jesus' choice to maintain integrity, or as Paul calls it, to be the new Adam, was a choice that got him into trouble with the religious leaders. But it is also the choice that provides us with hope for the living in the kingdom now. Jesus showed us what it looked like to be the true human, to give up control to God and to trust him for the results without trying to define good and evil for ourselves. Jesus showed us how to not be consequentialists. He showed us not only to maintain his purity, but also to be an example for us. We can be faithful without compromise to God's holiness in part because we have Jesus for an example. If God uses Jesus' cross and suffering for the greatest good in history, surely we can do good and take on powerlessness knowing that God will do the same with our lives and our sacrifices. Jesus' choice to live as the true human and to be the new Adam that was completely other-focused, while it isn't our experience, is a part of Jesus' reverse incarnation in which he is able to begin our sanctification process and evaluate us, uh, elevate us up to himself. He's showing us what we have to hope for. He's giving us that life raft uh, that we talked about in the, the previous episode. On the flip side, Jesus didn't take on decisional incarnation in the way that most of us do. Jesus never chose to become a criminal, though he experienced what criminals experience because he was falsely accused. Jesus never chose to be an adulterer or to have an abortion with his future child. Jesus didn't decide to do any of the evil that, once done, often defines our lives. In this way, Jesus is absolutely unable to be incarnational to us. Hebrews tells us that Jesus experienced temptation like we do, but he never sinned, so he can't know what it's like to be us completely. Yet even in this way, he can. The cross was a place where Jesus bore the weight of sin. While he himself was not a sinner, he became a sin offering for us. Jesus may not know the guilt of sin, as he himself never sinned, yet he bore the full consequence of sin in his flesh, even unto death. And this experience rounded out Jesus' full experience of what it means to be fully human in our condition. In the end, Jesus didn't become incarnational in every specific conceivable circumstance, in every way possible, but he experienced the full range of human experiences. At the same time, Jesus refused to experience a category of experiences which, while making him more like us maybe, would have destroyed the hope that we have in him. It would have ruined the reverse incarnation. Jesus knew no sin. He doesn't know what it's like to stand culpable before God. He knows the consequences of that, but not the personal guilt. While Jesus knew the forsakenness of being allowed to suffer and die without God's intervention, Jesus also knew the conclusion of Psalm 22, which is that God's face was not really hidden from him, and God heard the afflicted one's cries. In the worst experience of Jesus' life, Jesus knew that God had not forsaken him, but that God was allowing the experience of the cross in order to bring all peoples to reconciliation. This willingness of Jesus to go to the depths of human experience, yet not personally experience decisional sin, was vital for him to be our perfect high priest. He can relate to us and be our intermediary because he knows what it's like to be us. 
Yet at the same time, he is also an effective mediator because he can stand directly in the presence of God without sin. Jesus is the perfect incarnator, and he ought to be our model for incarnation. We can choose to love the oppressed and maintain our integrity despite any seeming ineffectiveness of our choices and seeming pointlessness of suffering and persecution that we might endure from that. And in like manner, we can lay down our lives, not only for our friends, which even some Gentiles and uh, you know, non-Christians might do, but we can even lay down our lives for our enemies. And that's only because of the, the hope that we have and our call to incarnation. God is in control and can even turn utter incarnation, or cross, into resurrection. That's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it.